0: Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 67 of the Fly Route Podcast. I am your host, Anthony, a.k.a. Tony Playboy, a.k.a. Free Willy, a.k.a. Russell West Bench, and I have an exciting show for you today. We are going to get into the two-minute warning where I give you all the hottest sports news of the week. We are going to talk about the divisional round of the NFL playoffs. We are also gonna give you a little hindsight is 2022 where I look back at the podcast predictions for the NFL season records and see how well we did. And last but always not least, I'm going to give a big, big, big baller's bouquet to Aaron Donald of the Los Angeles Rams. The, 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 the fly route pop, the fly route pop, the fly route pop, the fly route pop. All right, all right, all right. Look, everybody is thinking about the playoffs. So we are going to start with the NFL playoffs. Now, first and foremost, last week, super wildcard weekend. I went five and one on the money line. But shout out to last week's guest, Damo, aka the political plug, who went six and zero on the money line and six and zero against the spread. I'm going to try to keep his hot streak going and see if I can go undefeated myself this week. Now, we got to start off with the Bengals versus the Titans. The Titans are three and a half point favorites at home. And I think I'm going to take the Titans money line as well as the Titans on the spread. You already know what it is. Playoff time is all about the money line. So Titans minus three and a half. And I think the real key to this game is Derrick Henry's help. Look, he finally had his first full contact practice of the season since he got hurt in week eight with that foot fact fracture. This is my riskiest pick of the week, and I'm going to be real honest here because the entirety of this for me in the most part is based around what Derrick Henry can be when he's out there on the field this week. If he's on a significant snap count, if he doesn't look like himself during this game, I think the Bengals are more than live to be able to come out of this game and Make it to a conference finals. Look, the best part about this is Tennessee, for the most part, outside of Derrick Henry, who's a little bit of a question mark, is well-rested and very healthy. Vrabel is like 8-1 and off of a bye as a head coach in the NFL. And they've been relatively consistent all year. So I think that you shouldn't be afraid to hit the Titans in this game. 100%. But... Who knows what's going to happen? I will say it's a big, big thing that Trey Henderson has made it out of concussion protocol. He was a full participant in practice this week. So that pass rush is definitely going to be there for the Bengals. Now let's move on to the 49ers versus the Packers. Like, wow. Look, all the stats in history about this game should tell you that the 49ers are more than live and could easily come out of this game and have Aaron Rodgers losing another early playoff game. But honestly, I believe the Packers are gonna come out on top here. I'm taking the Packers' money line, but I will take the Niners plus 5.5. The spread earlier this week is six. This is a game that I think you should monitor the spread because if it jumps, which it definitely might considering the Niners' injury report, which I'm going to get to, this might be a juicy spread pick for you, but I'm taking the Packers' money line. Yes, MVS is doubtful, but they're getting back possibly Jair Alexander, David Battiari and Randall Cobb, which means this team is actually going to be significantly healthier than the last time that you've seen them. They also are coming off a bye and well-rested. As long as that doesn't cause them to come out really slow and allow the 49ers to build a big lead and then rely on that run game, I think they're gonna be all right. The Niners are extremely beat up in this game, which I think is going to make a big difference. Jordan Willis, Nick Bosa, Thomas at cornerback, And not even to mention Jimmy G with his bad thumb and now bad shoulder. It is just a recipe for the Packers to take this one. The next game here is the Rams versus the Bucks, And this is my upset for the week. I am taking the Rams plus two and a half and the Rams money line. You always hear this, that home field advantage should mean about three points. So if you see a three point spread, they're not saying too much about the home team. The Rams are less than three-point dogs. I love them as dogs, and I feel like the only reason why they're dogs is because of the Brady effect. Tampa Bay is really beat up. They're down their center, Jensen. They're down their right tackle, Wirfs, and he is reportedly actually in a boot. Sean Murphy, but in a corner, is also possibly not going to play, and they already have a quite depleted secondary, not to mention Ronald Jones, possibly Leonard Fournette, and all I know is When worse went out last week, we watched the Eagles front four tee off on Brady over and over again to the point where the announcers of the game were questioning whether or not they should leave him out there and whether or not they should pull him because of how far ahead they are. The Eagles front four is nothing compared to the Rams. They have Von Miller, Aaron Donald, and Leonard Floyd, who doesn't get talked about enough and is a very underrated pass rusher. Jalen Ramsey is going to be following Mike Evans all game long, and historically, he has been able to get the best out of Evans more often than not, which means that he might be able to handle that on one-on-one coverage, allow them to double-team Gronk, and make Brady's day a living hell. I love the Rams in this matchup. Last game here, and I think this might be the most exciting game of the week, is the Bills versus the Chiefs. The Chiefs are only one-and-a-half point favorites only one and a half point favorites. I'm taking that one and a half, and I'm also taking the Chiefs' money line. I think people are overestimating that Bills win and how the Bills just completely dismantled the Patriots because on the other side, the Chiefs also kind of completely dismantled the Steelers. Clyde Edwards-Hillier should be back and healthy this game. Jerick McKinnon as a supplementary back looked great last week. I just... I don't think the Bills have it. Honestly, I think the Bills are a frequently up and down team. They have not been able to show us consistency this season. So after a big, big performance last week, I expect them to temper a little bit back down. The Chiefs have been quite consistent and they are willing to take what defenses are giving them and be more methodical going down the field. I think that is definitely going to benefit them in this game and the Chiefs will top out the Bills yet again. In the playoffs. Look, those are the picks for this week. Let me know if you're going to ride with me or if you're going to fade, and we will keep it moving. Y'all is, y'all, y'all is Tony Playboy. All right, all right, all right. We are going to get into the two minute warning, and we have a lot to talk about. Look, the first thing here is I wanted to open up this segment talking about how Bulls fans should take a breath. I wanted to tell Bulls fans it's all gonna be okay. We've been extremely depleted. Less, yes, we lost four in a row. But in that four in a row, we had lost DJJ. We had lost Zach Levine. Like we we didn't have Caruso when we were losing that. He just came back. We we beat that little slide. He had the best plus minus on the team that night, plus 18. Like that's where I was going to go, but now I can't go there no more. Because it's legitimate time to not panic but be very worried as a Bulls fan because we were just turning the corner to get healthy again. We were so close and now things have went down, down again. Lonzo Ball going to have surgery on his knee with a torn meniscus. He's out four to eight weeks, most likely six to eight with that type of a knee issue that has to get ramped back up to play. Again, Levine is also out with a knee issue, but thankfully that is not as serious as Lonzo's. We already had Javante Green out, who was out starting four with a groin issue. DJJ out for two to four weeks, also out backup four. So in an area that we were already massively light because we lost Patrick Williams in the beginning of the year, it's just demolished, which means against bigger teams, we're probably going to struggle. But I do think there are real reasons to be positive here. At this point, Lonzo is basically a vet. So he knows what to do and how to do it when he gets back. But the minutes that will come from him not being around for this amount of time will get to be split amongst like Ayo, right? Who has been fantastic and crazy as a rookie this year. Kobe White, who is one of our best scorers on the team, an instant bucket getter. And I'm interested to see what we do with those lineups. I think Caruso has to stay in the lineup for the defensive pressure he adds, but those other guys can be big scorers. And IO is no slouch on defense. Like the IO Caruso lineup could actually be trouble for people with how good both those players are on the defensive side of the ball and how they can communicate and how Caruso can kind of bring Io along on that defensive part of the game even more than he is already but that being said I wouldn't be surprised to see a slide to third or fourth in the east just to be perfectly honest like the heat have been trending upwards very quietly in the east they're sitting around the second seed right now we also know that even though The Nets are down KD for a while. They got Kyrie back for some of those road games, and that should help them out significantly. Let's keep it moving. Yo, why aren't we talking enough about Kirk Cousins to the Steelers? It doesn't feel like he is in the long-term plans of the Vikings, especially with the amount of money that he costs. Last year, second-round pick, the Vikings drafted Kelo and if you heard my conspiracy theory many a times, I believe that part of the reason why Zimmer got fired was because he did not start Kellen Mond, I think week 16, when Kirk Cousins was out with COVID instead of starting Sean Mannion. Kirk Cousins gets a lot of flack for the fact that the Vikings only went eight and nine this year. But Kirk Cousins is also a pro football focus, his fourth highest graded quarterback at 86.1. And they actually had a decent suggestion in which the Steelers would send over a first and a second, offset the years, and get Kirk Cousins. And this draft is not a QB draft. So people thinking that the Steelers are going to go for a guy like Pickett, possibly if he drops. But I don't see them overreaching for a guy like Pickett in this draft. This has not been a QB draft. And we were told that like nine months ago. Every year, someone's draft status gets elevated at the quarterback position that it should not. And all those years, frequently the same bad organizations fall for the rising stock of a guy for like the last several years, everybody said was not it. The Steelers don't seem like that type of organization to me. So I legitimately feel that if they're not gonna stick with their current quarterback room, which I don't understand why they would, we've seen what Mason Rudolph is, and while Dwayne Haskins has all the tangibles, he has none of the intangibles. And he does not—he has not shown us that he is ready for that level of game yet. So I honestly think free agency or a trade is their best way to go. And if they're not going to go for a guy like Kirk Cousins, expect them to look at guys like Gardner Minshew, Tyler Huntley, etc. Because Tyler Huntley has worked his way into a possible starting job in this league. Now, let's keep it moving to some... Sacramento Kings news. Look, we know the Kings have been supposedly possibly fire selling everything, even though a recent Shams report says that they are no longer interested in moving De'Aaron Fox and want to build around him. But there's a lot of buzz around this Kings 76ers deal where the Kings would take Tobias Harris and Ben Simmons to let off Tyrese Halliburton, Buddy Heald, Harrison Barnes, and two first-rounders. They're also interested in Matisse Thybul, who currently the Sixers are saying is untouchable. That makes a lot of sense to me if they're going to give up a type of defender like Ben. They definitely need a different style of defender that could be at that near level going forward. And considering that he was second team all defense last year, that is that type of a guy. And I hear this trade and I think maybe Philly should go for it. Maybe Philly should go for it if they believe their championship window is damn near closed. If you want to take one final gasp at it. But if that's not the case, which I don't think they think it is so far, especially the way Darren Mori has been turning down basically any deal sent his way, I don't think this has any real legitimacy to it. I can't see the 76ers and the Kings working out any type of deal. That does not involve a third team with a much better player. Some rumors around Bradley Beal. Now that he's not going to sign his extension. Maybe that's the type of thing they'll go after. Harden is not actually signing anything long-term with the Nets. Maybe that's the thing they go after. I would not be surprised if Daryl Morey lets Ben Simmons sit the whole season. And people complain about him wasting the prime of Joel Embiid. Because you're thinking short-term. This year of Joel Embiid, but for like this collection of pieces that we've talked about, like a healed Tyrese Halliburton, Harrison Barnes, you haven't maximized his prime. You've just given him something to work with this year. That is not that does not sound like a championship roster. And I think Daryl Moore is the guy that kind of understands that bigger bust. So I don't see I don't see Ben Simmons moving anytime soon. Not at all. Let's move on to a little. Bobo Newts Now look, Bobo, hopefully he is now free because the Denver Nuggets tried to trade him once to Detroit. That didn't work out. Now they're trading him to the Boston Celtics in a three-team trade with the San Antonio Spurs. Brian Forbes goes to the Nuggets. They get a nice shooter to add in that guard area the Jokic can use, especially now that they're kind of light with the scores, losing both Jamal Murray last season into this season. And now also losing Michael Porter Jr. Now, look, I Celtics take Bobo and P.J. Dozier. I don't know what that does for them. I don't think it moves the needle for the Celtics at all. I think out of all these teams, the Nuggets probably got the best part of it because Bobo wasn't even in their rotation. I, I'm kind of confused about this, but it does lead us to some interesting news about Al Horford, who... There are rumors around them trying to move him as well and get a different center in. Can Bobo be that center for them? I would love to see it. Bobo has such a unique skill set and talent that at that type of size, he could be something interesting for that offense. But the problem is Boston is not going to be able to move the Al Horford contract, and I don't know what they're smoking and thinking that they can The only way that Al Horford got moved the first time was to send him to OKC, who will take all your massive contract for picks, and they are in it for that. On the other hand, they had to swap an equally as bad contract that then got bought out by OKC for the Kimber Walker contract that they gave them. This is a disaster for Boston and it's always been a cap disaster for Boston because Al Horford has $27 million on his contract this year. Another $26 million on his contract next year. Al Horford is going to become the new Kevin Love where you don't want to release him and just take the money well, lose the money, let's say, if you're the Celtics, and no one's going to trade for him at that cost. This is absolutely going nowhere for them. Now, last thing I want to talk about here, and let's put it at this. Russell West bench. Now, Frank Vogel sat Russell Westbrook in the last four minutes of their game that they lost anyway to the Pacers, and his explanation for this which a lot of people ran with what he said he put the players out there that he thought could win the game that's a little bit of a harsh way to say it but i think he's just trying to say that he thought he had a better chance winning the game with russell off the floor than on the floor and that that lineup to him made the most sense at the time and russ has been the scapegoat for a lot of the problems with the lakers i think that's unfair russ is shooting 44 percent on the year that's not that bad he is shooting 30 percent from three which I'm gonna be honest with you, is objectively bad. But for reference, Luca is shooting 29% for, for on for threes of the year. But we aren't talking about that when it comes to Luca. Russell's true shooting is 50% on the year. Granted, all his plus minuses are negative, but I don't think that's his fault because the Lakers are a bad team. Look, the Lakers traded for Russell Westbrook, and you know what? They got everything they asked for. Russell's play has not declined, Russell is not a fading star. Russell is giving them exactly what he has been the last several years in the league, a relatively inefficient, high turnover playmaker and scorer like Mr. Triple Double. He's going to stuff the stat sheets, probably might get you a couple of quadruple doubles when we add the turnovers in there. But that's who he is. That's who the Lakers traded for. And now... For some reason, they're shocked that it did not fucking work, that LeBron, who is essentially a quasi point guard at the three, is not going to work with ball dominant Russell Westbrook, who needs to run the floor and the fast break at all times with an old team that is significantly slower than, like, let's say the Wizards he had last year. The Wizards were able to get out get out fast, but like Bradley Beal, Daniel Gaffer, who came over from the Bulls, a young, a young five. They were able to play fast. That is not what the Lakers can really do right now. And granted, a lot of this panic is coming from when, like, look, they ain't playing with AD. They missed Brown for an extended period of time earlier in the year. But now Russ is a scapegoat. Even though Russ is exactly everything he has always been and is exactly what was advertised to you when you traded for him. Now Vogel is the scapegoat for, like, lineups and other bullshit when this team is just not good. The construction of this team is just not good. Frank Vogel should not be a scapegoat for poor roster construction. That is the GM's fault. That is, I assume, partially LeBron's fault because we all feel like he's quasi-GM. And this is gonna be more difficult than not to fix because it's gonna be hard to move a contract like Russell Westbrook's. We hear all the rumors about, oh, the Lakers are interested in Jeremy Grant. Like, no, you aren't. You don't got Jeremy Grant money. Sit that shit down somewhere. Wait for the buyout market, because that's all you got. Like, if I'm being perfectly honest here, the Lakers shot themselves in the foot when they didn't go after the Buddy Heald package they had a chance at. They didn't go after DeMar DeRozan, who was available in free agency. They tried to build a perceptive big three, cost them all their depth when two of the people in those big three were already on the Lakers last year and experienced significant injury issues. They are broken down. They needed a player that was always gonna be there, but fit that roster. Now, the last thing I wanna talk about here is Luka. Last year, Luka got a lot, a lot, a lot of MVP love. He was the hot kid on the block, and it feels like now the media has really moved off the Luka MVP train and onto the John Morant MVP train instead. And I think Luka has been kind of a weird case. His points per game has dropped down, not by much, only by two points. All of his percentages are down, like his shooting percentages, his three-point percentages, etc. But Luka has become a significant, more complete player this year. He has more rebounds, more assists, more blocks. His overall defensive numbers are better. The Mavs, which is a team that struggled on defense a lot, and Luka was one of the key reasons for that, are now the fourth best defense in the league. They've won 10 of their last 11 games. Their opponents have shot less than 50% in their last 21 games straight. Like the Mavericks are actually significantly better than they have been in quite some time. Like, shit, kudos to Jason Kidd. He's really he's really out here making it work. And it's weird because now that the Mavs are a good team, instead of Luka just kind of balling out with the points, but they're in the lower half, of the Western Conference, MVP buzz is gone. What's going on with that? Look, that's just me, but we are going to keep it moving. Let's 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 stop, Playboy. Look, let's hop on and go with the hindsight is twenty twenty two, and I am quite interested in y'all seeing how things went. I'm gonna start with one of my worst of it, honestly, because this one was a struggle. The AFC North. Now look. The Steelers, I actually got almost dead right. I thought the Steelers would be nine and eight. They were nine, seven, and one. I'm gonna call that nine and eight because they tied with the Lions and that should not happen. The Steelers were everything I thought they were. I told you all to bet the over on their wins, which I think was like six and a half this year or seven. Look, crazy easy money. The Steelers are the Steelers. Mike Tomlin is Mike Tomlin. He does not have losing seasons. He had an even record with Mason Rudolph. This defense is fantastic. You saw that T.J. Watt almost breaking the sack record. They were exactly what I thought they'd be. Now, the Ravens, I thought the Ravens would go 11-6. They went 8-9. and nine. Granted, they lost their like last six games because they didn't have Lamar Jackson. That's just not something that you can predict all that well because he hasn't been a player that got injured very much in his season. Now, I am not going to have to justify too much of that one. I will have to eat some crow here. The Browns. I said the Browns were going to go 14 and 3. I was all the way on the Browns Super Bowl deep playoff run hype with the additions they made to that defense. OBJ coming back healthy. The Browns went 8 and 9. They were a complete disappointment. Baker Mayfield was hurt most of the year and they did not sub him in for Case Keenum, which I think absolutely destroyed this team's chances to win many different periods of time during the season. This defense that they added all these extra pieces to. Like Jadavian Clowney, they added some extra cornerbacks and safeties, which was the weakness of that defense the previous year. And they all disappointed. They never gelled, they never really got going. Jeremiah Owosu Kamura, who I'm not gonna say is a bust or anything like that because it's just his rookie season, just didn't hop off the page like people thought he would be in such a versatile defender. Instead, the really versatile defender that we discovered in this draft was Micah Parsons. The next thing I'm gonna have to eat some crow on here. I said the Bengals would be five and 12. They were 10-7, and and it's weird because I thought the Bengals' offense would be prolific. I actually had the Bengals ranked in the top 10 of my wide receiver cores going into the season, and they definitely delivered on that promise. I did not expect this Bengals' defense to be as good as it was. Trey Hendrickson being one of the best free agent signings. You've heard me say this before. 14 and a half sacks. Like that dude was ridiculous. This defense showed up in a way that I absolutely could not expect from them. I underestimated the Bengals. There's no if, answer, or but about it. I underestimated Joey Cool. Like, it's just, it's just facts. It's just facts. Now we'll move on to the AFC South. Now, the order of the AFC South, I got right. But the record is a little bit off. Now, look, I thought the Titans would be 10 and 7 when the AFC South, they went 12 and five. They were everything that was promised. And even after losing Derrick Henry, they still really, really showed up and showed out. I There's really no real way to frame that in a different way. I didn't think they would sweep the Colts, which is part of the reason why I had them at 10 and seven, but they ended up sweeping the Colts anyway. I thought the Colts would actually be around where they were though. I had the Colts at nine and eight and the Colts were nine and eight straight up. Like, that's about what I thought they would be. I thought that would be good enough to get them into the playoffs. Unfortunately, they choked against the Jags. That's what it is. Carson Wentz was actually a pretty good quarterback this season, and Frank Reich had him reduced a lot of the mistakes that we saw his last year in Philly. Now, granted, he kind of unraveled there at the end of the season, but the progress from last season to this season for Carson Wentz was more than enough for me to think that the Colts will keep riding with him. The Jags, I guess, I gave the Jags too much credit, and that's kind of crazy to say. I had them going 5-12. and 12. They went 3-14. and 14. They were an absolute tire fire. The Urban Meyer shit was an absolute mess. He had to get fired midseason. Trevor Lawrence regressed, not got better during the season, which is something I actually expected to happen for them. It's just no way around it. I thought the Texans would go 3-14. and 14. They went 4-13. and 13. I'm going to leave this one alone. I thought they would do a little bit better. I thought they had Tyrod Taylor. I'm a big fan of Tyrod Taylor. They ended up missing out on him the whole season. And I think that he might've been able to get them a little bit further along than I thought. The Texans surprised me how competitive they were in a lot of their games, especially without Deshaun Watson. I, I actually quote said that they won four games with Deshaun Watson last year. There's no way that they could win for more than four games this year. They proved me wrong. Won exactly four games and somehow David Cully still got fired. Not a big gonna touch on that. You know what it is. Let's go down to the AFC West. Let's talk about the Kansas City Chiefs. Because all I, I drank the Chiefs Kool-Aid a little bit too much. The Chiefs were talking undefeated season. The bus were talking undefeated season. I thought the Chiefs would go 15 and 2. Now, I did not predict that massive slide that Patrick Mahomes went on in the middle in the early parts of the season. And the massive interceptions, the turnovers, the inability to get it going, they end up going 12 and 5 instead. But the team that I saw at the end part of this season looked a lot more like what I thought they would in preseason. The Raiders I had going 8 and 9, they went 10 and 7. Two more games than I expected. And like, for I actually really wanted to talk shit to Raiders fans because they were like, the Raiders are back. You don't understand what's going on. You think we're the Raiders from last year, blah, blah, blah. We are great against the Chiefs who fucking smoked y'all like fucking smoked y'all like a backwood back-to-back times. It was criminal the way that you all played defense in those games, not playing too high safety, but whatever. With all the terrible things the Raiders had to go through this season, this was an excellent season for them. They, they exceeded my expectations. I'm going to just give them credit where that is. The Broncos. I had the Broncos going 6-11. They went 7-10. That's cool. I actually, um, more, it's more than what I expected for them. I actually think that the Broncos were trending in the right direction. I thought Vic Fangio probably deserved another year considering how bad quarterback has been there during his tenure, but that's cool. The Chargers I had going 11 and six, instead they go nine and eight. The Chargers kind of choked it. There's not much to say about that. They were a young team, Brandon Staley was a first year coach. I believed in the potential of Justin Herbert, and I believe that this is this nine and eight area is probably the floor for the Chargers going forward with that defensive personnel they have, with the Keenan, Keenan Allen, Austin Eckler, Justin Herbert trio they have going on. And I expect them to really play back up to expectations this year. Let's talk about the AFC East because the AFC East was one of my better predictions. I was nearly on target with every team or only one-off. Got the order right, too. We'll start with the Dolphins. I said the Dolphins would be 9-8. The Dolphins ended up being 9-8, and And this is a prediction that if you had asked me halfway through the season, I thought I had no chance at hitting, but they went on that excellent, like, what, seven, eight-game win streak, even though Brian Flores gets fired anyway. Tua is exactly what people think Tua is, and there isn't really a better way to put that. This defense kind of disappointed at points in time. They still have trouble running the ball. And I think this team is not in a better situation going forward. Patriots. I had the Patriots going 11-6. I said the Patriots were back. People did not want to believe it. They went 10-7. and 7. Made the playoffs even though they got busted up by the Bills. And I think like that's just going to happen. They are rebuilding back up to where they were before. I think turning it around this quickly for Bill Belichick actually is a big credit to his coaching, especially with a rookie quarterback. They added some pieces on that defense. Most of them really, really pop. And some of their offensive signings popped, mostly just Hunter Henry. The Bills, I had the Bills going 12 and five. They went 11 and six. The Bills had one of the easiest schedules in the NFL, like losing a game to like what the Jags, didn't see that coming, right? (laughs) Like that's probably the big one there. And that's cool. The Jets, I had going 5-12. and 12. They went 4-13. and 13. I mean, they're the Jets. I actually don't really want to talk about the Jets. I'm going to be honest with you. Let's move over to the NFC West. NFC West. All right, all right, all right. This is another one where I thought all these teams would do really well. And I started off the season thinking the Cardinals would actually be the odd man out of the playoffs in this division if anyone did not make this division. Uh, from this division did not make the playoffs. But instead... Ended up being the Seahawks. I thought the Seahawks would go 10-7. and 7. They went 7-10. and 10. Straight flipped the board on me. And like granted, Russell did was out for a significant period of time and then came back a little too early and was pretty raw and not very good in his first two or three games back. And this is just kind of one of those things where if your quarterback takes a real beater and you lose him for a bit of time, it's going to flip a lot of the records for this one. I had the 49ers going 12-5. and 5. They went 10-7. and 7. I honestly thought the 49ers would win this division. They lost Jimmy Garoppolo here and there, had to play Trey Lance. He's a rookie. It didn't really go out for them as well. It's like basically every other time they have a quarterback that's not been Jimmy Garoppolo since Jimmy Garoppolo got there. The Cardinals, I thought, would go 9-8, 10-7 at best. They ended up going 11-6. They were a big surprise in the beginning of the year. They started on fire and petered back out. After DeAndre Hopkins got her and Kyler Murray got her, I think this is a team that, if they stayed healthy, could have blown my expectations out of the water. The Rams, when the Rams got Matthew Stafford, I was like, the Rams would go 11 and 6. There will be a much better team than they were last year just because of the things that Stafford could do. They went 12 and 5 instead, and I think like that's pretty impressive considering losing Cam Akers really early and having to like refigure out their run game between what Derek Henderson and Sony Michelle. I like where the Rams are at. I like the Rams this week as well. They made even more additions to get even better later, even better later on in the year. Now this, now this division, I whiffed on every single prediction on this division. Like, God, I was so wrong about the NFC East. I thought the Washington football team would go nine and eight. They went seven and 10. That's not too far off. They did have to start Taylor Heineke all year, and I made this prediction believing in Ryan Fitzpatrick being able to take this team to the next level, the Curtis Samuel signing being able to open things up, especially for Terry McLaurin. He ends up playing, like, almost no games all season long, and they still go 7-10. and 10. Like, they were fighters, and that defense was god-awful this year compared to expectations. Like, people thought this was going to be a number one defense in the league, possibly a, like, top three defense in the league, if not number one, it was atrocious. Chase Young did get hurt partway through the year, but he wasn't good when he was playing before he got hurt. We'll move on to the Giants. Look, the Giants, I had them going eight and nine. They went four and 13. Joe Judge gets fired. I mean, like the Giants weren't good when they did have Daniel Jones healthy. Then they were starting Mike Glennon. Then Mike Glennon gets hurt. And then they're starting Jake Fromm. Nothing went right for the Giants this year, possibly besides the fact that Saquon Barkley made it through the season healthy. Kenny Galladay was hurt all season, but played and it was kind of iffy. It just wasn't a good look for them. The Cowboys, the Cowboys impressed this year, but they impressed, I think largely because of the fact that the other teams in the NFC West were on backup quarterbacks besides Philly. And they were already not that great of teams to be in the first place. I had them going eight and nine. They went twelve and five. They beat up on the NFC East. Went six and zero against them. Maybe I should have seen that part coming. And then went six and six the other way around. Look, Cowboys were a first round exit. They were kind of the team that I didn't think would be as good as they were, but still ended up having the same flaws in the end. I thought the Eagles would go six and eleven. I did not believe in Nick Sirianni. I did not really believe in Jalen Hurts yet, even though I knew he could get it done with his legs. I did not believe in a lot of their wide receivers. I'm just going to be very honest with you, especially Rager. Here, and here we are. They went 9-8, and eight, made the playoffs. Like, kudos to them. Like, Nick Sirianni did a great job. They did get thumped by Tampa Bay. But the fact that they made the playoffs in this season altogether was massive. If people are still on the, like, Jalen Hurts might not be our guy train in Philly. Like, what the fuck are you doing? You got this guy. You got a lot of picks. He's cheap right now. He can make most of the throws. He can get it done with his legs. This is time for you to rebuild around this guy and make everything around him significantly better because you have him at that cost. He's like a second round pick. He's not even like on the first round pick pay schedule. He's a second round pick. This is the time for Philly to kind of start building and going all in on this kid. Now, we got the NFC South. And the NFC South, man, I was crazy good on predicting most of these teams, besides one. The Falcons, I said, would go 7-10. and 10. They went 7-10. and 10. That's about what I expected. The Falcons are kind of a mediocre team in the first place. The Saints, I said, would go 9-8 and, and miss the playoffs. Who would have thought? They went 9-8 and, and missed the playoffs. I think that there's a very good possibility, and I'm going to just be honest, honest and reflective here. There's a very good possibility that if, Jameis Winston was healthy the entire season. The Saints would have beat this prediction relatively well and made the playoffs anyway, and I did not give Jameis Winston's progression under Sean Payton enough credit coming through the season. I just want to give the Saints that props. I said the Bucs would go 13-4. The Bucs went 13-4. They brought it all back. They were supposed to be this good. There wasn't really anything unexpected or special about this Bucks team. They were exactly what we thought they would be. The Panthers, I thought the Panthers would go 8-9. I really did. I kind of believed in like, here's what I, I did not think Sam Donald would be as bad as he was away from the Jets. I remember Robbie Anderson having a thousand plus yard season going crazy with Teddy, Teddy Bridgewater. And Sam Donald made him look useless. I did not think this team would be great, but they disappointed in ways I was not ready for. Now, the last division I got here is my personal division here. You know, the NMC North. <sighs> I Okay, we're going to talk about my Bears first. You see me rocking the South Side cap. Like, what's up? The Bears, I said, would go 9-8. and eight. I truly kind of believed in this. We went 6-11. and 11. There was so much wrong with what was going on. The flip-flopping back and forth with the quarterbacks. I had a lot of faith in like an actual progression of like Dalton two fields when we got things together. We never really got things together. And it's just a little bit disappointing. Now we got the Lions and I love this one right here. I said the Lions would go two and 15. They went three, 13 and one. When I said the Lions would go two and 15, Lions fans eviscerated me in my YouTube comments. He eviscerated me in my YouTube comments, saying, you don't understand the staff we put together. We are not the same lines of old. I'm like, who the, wow, they really sold y'all on that? For real? Y'all were bad and I expected you to be bad. You swapped Jared Goff for Matthew Stafford. Jared Goff is no Matthew Stafford. You lost big wide receiver names that were running your wide receiver court. Now, Amon Ross Brown, looked great especially for where y'all got him at got no hate in my heart for this kid he's gonna be something special but you are who you we are you are who we thought you were packers i said they go 13 and 4 they went 13 and 4 honestly the packers looked good this year they kind of looked dominant in most of their games even the ones that they lost in this is a team that had most of the losses be close outside of that week one where they started a little bit slow Aaron Rodgers is Aaron Rodgers. Continued his dominant performance from last season. He's looking like he's going to go for two straight MVPs with Matt LaFleur. This offense is flourishing. And that defense in particular, when they fired their DC and changed it, I did not expect it to have the impact that it did have for them on defense this year. It was pretty impressive. Now, the Vikings, I said, would go 8-9. They went 8-9. The Vikings just seemed like a team that was depleted on the defensive end which means they give up a lot of points even though they had a decent offense with a, r- a lot of good playmakers. They lost Adam Thielen partway through. I get it, but this is kind of what I expected from a Kirk Cousins-led team, especially in Minnesota. So, look, that's hindsight. It's 2022. 20, like I, went, I did pretty good. I did pretty good. I'm not going to lie. There were some divisions where I completely flopped on, but I did pretty good overall. Now, let's get into the final segment of the show y'all is, y'all is, y'all is Sonny Playboy. All right, all right. Welcome to the final segment of the show, The Heart of the Show, Baller's Bouquets. Too often in the media people only want to focus on the negative negative but salacious things athletes do and never want to give them their credit where credit is due. Here, I like to make a change. And this week's Baller's Bouquet goes to Aaron Donald of the Los Angeles Rams for his prep forward program through the AD Ninety Nine Solutions Foundation. Now look, eighty ninety nine solutions is Aaron Donald's foundation that is focused specifically on changing the trajectory of Pittsburgh's most vulnerable youth. They provide resources, a safe place that is free, that allows kids to both kind of become better people, become better students and learners and also for their dreams when it comes to like athletics and stuff. And Prep Forward is a program that they specifically use for African-American students from about 13 to 18 throughout the area of Pittsburgh. And in 2019, they started doing this. And now in 2021, they started opening it up to both male and female students. And they have a curriculum that's just like built to help students to see in all areas of their life. They provide students with mentorship opportunities with professional members in the community, which can kind of excel and lead them to jobs later on. They provide weekly one-on-one tutoring for students so students can keep their grades up and get to that next level of life if it's going to be college for them. They do curriculum style learning that's supposed to focus on like communication skills, how to go through a job interview, how to kind of do a lot of the real-world things that school never really prepared us for, how to problem-solve in innovative ways. And that, if it wasn't enough, during the off-season, so their summer, Aaron Donald hosts a camp where he actually participates and so does his personal trainers. And they kind of just help students that are interested in football. They get to train with Aaron Donald. They get to train with Aaron Donald's trainers. And I always talk about how when they get to see an athlete like Aaron Donald that's from their area, he's from the Pittsburgh area, that went to maybe the same schools, have the same social location as them, it shows them that anything can be possible. And that was this week's Ballers Bouquet. Now look, that's it for episode 67 of the Fly Rock Podcast. I appreciate each and every single one of y'all for hopping on, spending some time with me, whether you're listening on YouTube, Apple Music, Audia, Spotify, wherever it is, yo. Thank you for hopping on. Thank you for listening. Each one, reach one, teach one. Send the pod to a friend or something like that. And I'll see y'all next week. The fly route, pod, the fly route, pod, the fly route, pod, the fly route, pod, the fly route. Pod, the fly route pod.